All right, take your Bibles, go to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Oh, yep. Happy Thanksgiving belated. Uh Uh-oh. Hello? Are you guys all still in turkey stupor or what? Uh, Happy Thanksgiving! Or maybe, maybe you guys are the rebellious group that it's like, no, Thanksgiving's over. It's time for Christmas now. So, Merry Christmas! That works. It's fine. We'll get there. We'll actually get there today. You'll see what I mean in just a, a few moments here. So, uh, how many of you, I'm going to ask just to kind of get an idea here, how many of you uh, traveled for Thanksgiving? You just didn't eat Thanksgiving meal in your home this year. Raise your hand if that was you. Wow. Okay, great. How many of you were the ones responsible to cook Thanksgiving dinner? Raise your hands. Can we give them a round of applause, please? Uh, my family and I had a great time. We, we drove about three and a half hours up north to the northern Pocono-type area um, and, and spent some time with Stephanie's family. We had, a, we had a fantastic time. I'd love to say it was restful. That would be a lie, but it was enjoyable. So uh, excited to come back and to jump back into the book of Ruth. We're going to finish our series on Ruth this morning. This is a, actually a really um, amazing uh, chapter in the Bible because what it does for us, particularly as a church, what it's going to do for us is it's going to serve as the, the conclusion of the Ruth series and the introduction to our Christmas series, the Advent series. And I'll just say just a quick word about that. Our Christmas series that begins next week um, is, is entitled, Repeat the Sounding Joy. The reason it's titled that is this. We're going to look at some passages that aren't your typical Christmas passages and yet still proclaim the very same good news message of Christmas. That, that, that the, the, the song of Christmas, the message of Christmas is on replay throughout Scripture. And so we're going to look at that together over the next uh, four weeks. Can you believe that? After today, it's four weeks till Christmas? Yeah. Um, I can say this with pure integrity. I have yet to purchase a single gift. Pray for my soul. So before we get to Ruth chapter 4, let me give you a quick recap. I don't want to preach the entire, um, entirety of 1, 2, and 3, but just to make sure that you get caught up to where we are. You've got a man whose name is Elimelech, which means my God is king. And my God is king lives in the land of Bethlehem, which is going through a famine. And the man whose name is my God is king is married to a woman whose name is Naomi. And Naomi's name means sweetness, sugar pie, lovely. So he's married to sweetness, and they have two wonderful children named Malon and Kilion, which means sickly and dying, or we've uh, nicknamed them pneumonia and leukemia. And my God is king, Elimelech, living in Bethlehem, looking around, seeing no bread, makes a decision that although his name testifies to the fact that God is king and sovereign and in control, then they're in trouble if they don't leave Bethlehem because there's a famine, and man, what's God going to do about that? So he takes his family and he moves to Moab, and in Moab, the unthinkable happens, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi a widow. Now, she's got two boys who can take care of her, and they get married off, and they marry two ladies, one of them named Orpah and one of them named Ruth, and Malon and Kilian are married, and it says after 10 years, both Malon and Kilian die, and now Naomi is left a widow and childless. 
Her whole life has changed. Who's going to provide for her? No one can provide for her. So what she does is she makes the decision. When she hears that God has broken the famine back in Bethlehem, she makes the decision to head back to Bethlehem to enjoy the provision that God has brought by breaking the famine. And along the way, she's bringing her two daughters-in-law. You've got Orpah and you've got Ruth. And as they begin the journey, um, Naomi kind of does what would be a, a, a polite gesture. She looks at the two girls and says, no, 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 no. Don't come with me. You should go home. Go home to your moms. Go home to your dads. Go home to your, your gods, which that's just like stark in the text when you see that. You go home and, and you take care of yourself. I can't provide for you. I can't provide another son for you. I'm, I'm too old. I'm not married. And even if I had a boy today, are you going to wait till that boy grows up to marry my son? I think not. Go home. And, and Orpah doesn't need a lot of convincing. She's like, oh, but I'll, okay. And she heads home. And Ruth, Ruth, you get that, that stunning statement from Ruth that says, no, absolutely not. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And, and God forbid that I should do anything else. And Ruth accompanies Naomi back to Bethlehem. And as they enter Bethlehem, Naomi's old buddies are hanging out in the town square and they see her enter and they begin to whisper to each other, Is that, uh, isn't that Naomi? Didn't she and Elimelech leave here and head to Moab? She doesn't look real good, does she? Hey, I think Naomi's back. And Naomi overhears them using her name. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. It means bitter. Because I left here full. And now I return empty with nothing. No hope. <laughs> and Ruth has to be on the other side like, I'm sure glad I came on this trip. But, but Naomi kind of oversold her emptiness, didn't she? She, she? she kind of laid it out as, I have nothing, but in fact she was home because God began providing bread again. I have nothing, and yet she was in this place with this young lady named Ruth, and, and now God was going to surround Ruth with his people and work to redeem her. She was home in Bethlehem, which was going to become and has now become a significant place in the history of Christianity Maybe, maybe she oversold her frustration a little. You get to chapter two, and now, now Ruth is hungry. Naomi is hungry, and Ruth is just sitting there. She says, we can't just sit here. Mom, allow me to go out into the field. Allow me to glean. The idea is being able to walk through the field and pick up the scraps that the, the, the harvesters had left behind. And, 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 and Naomi says, by all means, go. And Ruth goes out. And just as, as hap would happen, as luck would have it, uh, the Hebrew is translated as her chance chanced upon the field of Boaz. Out of all the fields, she just happened to stumble into big, bad, burly Boazes. And while there, Boaz just happens to stop by. And again, Boaz gets out of his truck, because <laughs> that's how I can't see the story any other way. <laughs> he gets out of his truck, and I'm telling, and he's he is he is Boaz, and he steps out and he greets his workers with the Lord bless you, and his workers stop what they're doing and they do that glee dance, <laughs> and the Lord be with you too. I mean, there's this relationship that happens between boss and employee that I'm sure every single one of us long for. I mean, here at church, that's the way it works. In case you were wondering. Staff comes in and we roll out of our offices. The Lord bless you. Oh, the Lord bless you too. Um, <laughs> most days. I'm sorry, just most days. Like Friday when I'm not here. Um, so, <laughs> and 
And the first thing Boaz talks about is, who's that young lady? I don't recognize her. And the two things stand out is he recognizes his employees. The second thing that stands out is something about Ruth caught his eye. And what he's told is Ruth showed up in the field early that morning and asked permission to glean and asked permission to be more aggressive with her gleaning than most. She was going to walk in the midst of the field, not just on the edges, so she could accumulate more. And the, the foreman says, boss, you're not going to believe this. She, she came this morning. She asked permission. She's been working since this morning. She has taken one break for coffee back in the shack. That's it. She hasn't stopped otherwise. And Boaz looks at her and says, young lady, you stick with big bad Boaz. You don't go into any other field. You glean with my women. And I've instructed the young men not to touch you. I promised them if they touched you, I would bury their bodies in one of these fields. Nobody would ever find them. So I instructed them not to touch you. And you, now, now come to lunch. And then he serves her lunch. And she eats her full. And then she, she leaves there and goes right back into the fields to finish her job. She heads home that day with 30 pounds of grain and leftovers from lunch. And Naomi is just, what? What happened? Whose field did you end up in? And Ruth explains what happened, and and Naomi kind of, that smirk, that knowing smirk comes across the face like, oh, let's see what happens. Well, what happens is Ruth goes to work for Boaz with his young ladies for six or seven weeks until the harvest period is done, the harvest period is finished, and Boaz still hasn't asked her out on a second date. So Naomi, thinking, I need to take things into my own hands, says, I have a plan, Ruth. What I want you to do, Ruth, is I want you to bathe, Ruth, and I want you to put on the nicest dress you have, Ruth, and I want you to put on that midnight Moabite or that Moabite number five or whatever that perfume is that you have. And I want you to smell all pretty, Ruth, and I want you to sneak down to the threshing floor under the cover of darkness, Ruth, and I want you to watch Boaz fall asleep, Ruth, and then I want you to uncover his feet, Ruth, while he's sleeping, Ruth, and he'll tell you what to do, Ruth. I promise you, in any counseling I will ever do, I will never give that counsel to your daughters. And yet Ruth says, Naomi's got my back. I'm heading to the threshing floor. As we talked about last week, Boaz behaves with a character, a a dignity, an integrity that is, is, is not familiar in that time. Remember, this is happening in the time of the book of Judges where every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. But what, what Boaz does is he reveals to Ruth a problem. He says, you know, you know, I can't believe you would come to me, Ruth, and propose to me, because we talked about it that last week, is she basically proposed marriage to Boaz, and Boaz says, I can't, I can't believe that you would, you would propose to me, that you, you'd be interested in a big old dud like me. I mean, I wear like, like tube socks with my sandals. I have hair growing out of my ears. And you, you've ignored the young men, but you've come after me. I'm, I, I, well, yes, this thing will be done. And we could end the book there and be like, oh, and they had all the singing and the songs and the skipping around and the dancing. And yet he continues and says, but there's a problem. There's another man. See, there's another person who is closer, closer related to you than I am. And so it's his right to marry you first and get all of the possessions that are Naomi's and Elimelech's. But you go home and I'm going to head to town and I will take care of this. When Ruth gets home, she begins pacing back and forth, and and Naomi says, let's stop, 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 wait. Let's see what the Redeemer does. It's in his hands now. You just wait and watch. And that leads us to Ruth chapter four.
Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For you, daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nishan, Nishan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of So when we get to the beginning of Ruth chapter 4, what we find is, is a, an interaction that occurs. Verse 1, we're told at the town gate. Boaz goes to the town gate. That means little to us today, but back in this culture, in this time, the town gate was a place of business, a place of justice, a, a place of wisdom, a place of, of counsel, godly counsel, biblical counsel, worldly counsel. It's, it's, it's actually it's, I mean, it's just a hub of activity. It would be very similar to our lobby in between services. All the great wisdom that is shared among the cups of coffee. 
And so he goes to the town gate, and in the NIV, the, the version which we used for the reading and the one that I have here in front of me, we actually miss something very important, the way that it's translated here. It says, meanwhile, Boaz, verse 1, went up to the town gate, and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, that, that just as the guardian redeemer should be emphasized. See, this is another one of those divine coincidences that just happens to happen. It just happens to be that when when Boaz gets to the town gate, it just so happens that this guardian redeemer that he had shared with Ruth, this other man, happens to be passing by. I mean, it it just so happens that that this one would come. And actually, I love the way that this is... um, uh, it, it, this is translated for us. So you get to the, this, and, and in an entire book, you've got these names that have deep, rich meaning. Some, some funny meaning, but some just, just there's depth to the names of every character. And then you get to this here in verse one, and this, this guardian redeemer comes by, and, and Boaz says to him, come over here, my friend, and sit down. On purpose, the narrator, whoever it is, does not record the name of this fella, but instead uses a rhyme to, to, to refer to him. So, and I'm going to say it wrong, but I'll say it in English so it kind of gives you the idea. It's Poloni Almoni, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And it should, because what it literally means is Mr. So-and-so. So the narrator's like, it just so happened and when Boaz is sitting at the gate, Mr. So-and-so passed by. Sounds like we're doing a children's story now. Uh, the, the New English translation, I believe, is the one that translates it as Mr. John Doe. Because it doesn't want to give any level of respect or leverage to this fellow within the story. It just wants to be very clear. This guy is a non-player in the story. He seems significant, but what we're going to find is he's really not. And so it just so happens that he passes by and Boaz looks at him in verse 1 and says to him, Mr. So-and-so, my friend, please come and sit down. And so they go over and they sit down. And then verse 2, it says, Boaz then gathered 10 of the elders who would be there in the town gate. And he had them sit down in order to hear the, the case that was about to happen. I mean, there's, there is a tension that is, that is building up. And it's unfortunate that chapter 3 ended where it did and chapter 4 picked up where it did. Because it really should meld together, shouldn't it? I mean, you've got Ruth going under the cover of darkness and, and and declaring her love for big bad Boaz, and Boaz saying, I'll take care of it. You gotta know though, there's a problem. And he, he, he's got every right to marry you, and they would leave me out. And I know, I mean, I, me too, Ruth. I love you too, but I don't know what to do. And so you get this tension that's building, and so he's like, I'll take care of it. Here's some grain, bring that to your mother in law. That should make her happy, which I don't know what to take that as. I mean, that's, we talked about that last week, guys. If you're taking a lady out and you're interested, give her some extra dessert for her mom. I mean, that, that's going to go really well for you, I promise. You can thank me later. So Boaz gets to the town gate after that, and he's like, okay. I mean, you're thinking, okay. I mean, he's sweating. I mean, this is, this is big bad Boaz, but this is a moment. I mean, this, this is the, the future. This is the rest of his life. And he gets to the town gate. He's like, oh, all right. There he is. Come, come here, John, Johnny Doe, Johnny Doe. Come here, come on, have a seat, have a seat. Okay, good, have a seat. Um, elders, can I get 10 of you? I need 10 of you to hear this court case. Can ten, okay, come here, ha- have a seat. Now, here's the amazing part. He does this at the town gate. There's this huge tension. You know what Boaz wants, right? How many of us would have the integrity to do what Boaz is doing in the public eye at this moment? How many of us instead would work to cut a backroom deal so that nobody else would know? 
He didn't have to tell this guy that he was a, a kinsman redeemer, a guardian redeemer of, of Naomi and, 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 and Elimelech. He didn't have to share that information, and yet he still did out of integrity. And then in integrity, he stood in front of the public because what would happen at the town gate when a court case would begin, there were only a few seats. It wasn't that, that many seats, but the crowds would begin to gather. It's, it's the rubbernecking disease that we all experience. Oh, what's going on over here? Is it anything good? Let's listen. And the crowds would gather and, and surround the legal proceeding. So certainly this is happening with Boaz and Mr. So-and-so. And Boaz begins his case, and he says this in verse 3. He said to the guardian redeemer, listen, Naomi, the one who's come back from Moab, she's selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I'm not going to get into that a whole a lot, just to say that, that actually saying that she's selling the land is probably an overstatement. Uh, Naomi didn't own the land. It was from the family of Elimelech, so she was probably seeking to unload it to somebody who would give her the money for it to help provide for her. Um, because, and, and so in the, in the, in the, can I get an amen? I don't know what that was. I believe I just spoke in tongues. Yeah, beat you to it, man. <laughs> so, wow. Um, in so doing, there we go, she sold, selling the land would provide her needs and, and it would leave the, the, the proper ownership of Elimelech and his clan and his family. And so she's, she's seeking to do that. Boaz says, Naomi's trying to unload this land. Verse four, so I, I thought that I should bring this matter to your attention, Mr. So-and-so. And And that phrase is an idiom, to bring the matter to your attention. It means to to lift the hair away from your ear. I thought I should move the hair so I could tell you the facts in your ear and you could know what was happening. And I would suggest to you that you could buy it in the presence of all of these men who are seated here and in the presence of the elders and in the presence of all of these people, all of my people. If you redeem it, great. If you will not redeem it, tell me so I will know, because no one has the right to do it except for you, but I'm next in line. So, so it's a very interesting um, concept, this interesting strategy that Boaz is entering into with Mr. So-and-so. He said, listen, I just want to let you know that this is available, and if you're interested, make your decision now in front of these people. If you're not, let me know, and I'll purchase it. At first, you would think that maybe what Boaz is doing is selling it very short so that the guy doesn't get interested in it and he can just snatch it up, right? Oh, it's not really that great. It's not that important. It's not, that, not awesome at all. It's not really, you know. But if you happen to want it, just let me know. If you don't, then, you know, I will, I'll take it. I mean, that's almost what it seems like at first. However, you quickly realize that's not the case by Mr. So-and-so's response. It's almost written as if Boaz doesn't even get all the words out of his mouth and Mr. So-and-so begins to, ironically enough, trip over his tongue <laughs> to say, me, 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 I want it, I'll take it. I'll redeem it. I want that. Yeah, me. Sign me up. Where do I sign? Not knowing the end of the story, imagine yourself at that moment. Naomi is certainly not in the crowd. I'm sure Naomi's not in the crowd. But imagine if Naomi was in the crowd. You think she was bitter and cranky before? She's looking at Boaz like, what are you doing? How did this happen? So so your heart would sink. Frustration might set in. But before the contract is done, Boaz, in verse 5, gives the rest of the information. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi, will you also acquire Ruth, 
the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. See, what happens here is Boaz acts shrewdly, not unethically, not unbiblically, but actually brilliantly within business ethics in revealing all that comes with this deal. This is a great strategic move. It's, it's, <laughs> it's similar to this. So, and, and this is not a commercial. So your uh, outcome may become different based on each person. But when we travel, my, one of my favorite things to do is, I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to pay full price for a hotel room if my family's traveling. So I love Priceline. I better get like a kickback if this makes it online. But I, lo- I love Priceline. And I don't do just like the Priceline search for the cheap one. I do the name your own price thing. And that's, that's kind of kind of like Christian gambling. Um, so, <laughs> so I enjoy it, and, and, and it actually stresses me out sometimes, but I've learned some tricks to the trade, um, just trying to figure it out and try to get the cheapest hotel room deal that I can get. Um, it usually works out in our favor, but you know what I can tell you that bugs me the most? is like, all right, so I look online, and I look at all the average, the average prices, is like 120 bucks for a night, and you know what? Okay, what should I go at? I should go like, let's, let's go 60, right out of the gate. I'm going to offer them $60, and you're like, all right, that's half. I don't know. All right, so I'm going to go 60, so you type it, and you hit purchase my deal, and it does this little bar. It's like, we're searching for the best deal possible, and you're like, okay, come on, come on, come on. And I was like, boom, congratulations, $60 has been accepted. And it's like, ah, oh, I should have gone 50. You know what I mean? You can't even celebrate the victory because it's like, oh. See, Boaz is strategic in his stewardship in this moment. And he says, you, you want this land? Yeah, I want the land, I want the land. Well, hold on, hold on. Not only do you get the land, and the way he unfolds it is pretty amazing. He says, not only do you get the land from Naomi, but you get Ruth. Oh, that's right. The Moabite. Oh, not the most popular of people. The dead man's widow. Oh, that's right, she's a widow. In order to maintain the name of the dead. Oh, that's right, she's a barren widow. She hasn't had any other children. Um, seemed like a pretty good deal at first. It's like those phone calls you get. Hey, you stayed at one of our hotels, and we're going to give you a free vacation. Sweet. Where do I sign up? Well, you just give us your credit card information, and we'll take care of that for you. Not as sweet as it seemed. See, this land can be yours, Mr. So-and-so, and you get Ruth, the barren widow, the responsibility to redeem our relative Elimelech's family name by having children with Ruth. It's kind of a pregnant pause that occurs in the story right there. What's going to happen next? What decision will be made? What happens next is going to determine the outcome of this story that we have fallen in love with. And what happens next is this, verse 6, at this, Mr. So-and-so says, I can't redeem that then. Uh, If I do, I'm going to endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. So, so what he says is, now you've laid all of the information on me. There's no way that I could. I mean, I would have to take money out of my present accounts to, to purchase this land from Naomi. You know, and that's, that's not terrible if, if I end up owning something in the end. I mean, if I spend money on this land and end up owning it, I can plant a, a, a harvest on it and I can reap the harvest and then I, I get a pretty good discount deal on the land, but, but then I get to harvest all the things that are on the property. But, but, but that all goes away if I have a child with Ruth. 
If I do what I'm supposed to do and continue the family name of Elimelech and have a, have a male heir with Ruth, then I can purchase this land, and when I die, you know who gets the land? Not my family, not my children, but Ruth's kid. And so I take money out of my account to completely give it away and reap nothing in the end. And take on that, that I need to have a child with Ruth, and it costs a significant chunk of money to raise a child. If you're wondering, 2017, the number that came out to raise a child from zero to 17, from birth to 17, is $233,610. I'm rethinking some decisions. I'm just kidding. Four children, I'd be a millionaire. Treasure in heaven. They're all worth it. Most days. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one later. Um, and it will be worth way more than 233000 I promise. So you add the cost of raising another child. You add to it the cost of a live-in mother-in-law. No comments there. Notice the joke stopped right there. I know who might listen to this. Um, and then, then you add to that, not only, not only does Ruth's firstborn get the land from this deal, but, but then if the firstborn son of Ruth will actually claim a portion of the inheritance in Mr. So-and-so's family that, so his current children would lose out. I mean, if it was just buying the field at a reduced price, then farming it, then he would gain. But, but this is unaffordable. I, I can't afford to do that. Now, I love verse 7 gives us a little insight into something that otherwise we would never know. And in fact, it's interesting to note that those who were reading Ruth for the first time in the original, so the original audience of the book of Ruth, they wouldn't have known this either, which is why the author says, now back in these days, what would happen is this, for the redemption and the transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. So, so it wasn't the handshake, it wasn't signing on the dotted line and be like, all right, listen, I'll tell you what, man, why don't you, here, here you go. It's yours. Now, I don't know, I have no idea if Boaz got to keep the shoe. You know, like if a good businessman had a closet full of just a single shoes all the way up and down, be like, yeah, that's from 07, yeah, that was a good deal, yeah. And I, you don't know if the poor guy had to, Mr. So-and-so left the thing like this, like. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, you don't know what, what would happen with that, but, but the point is this. The deal was being made. It was being formalized and finalized. In verse 8, the guardian redeemer, Mr. So-and-so, said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he, redeem, he removed, didn't redeem, he removed his sandal. The deal's done. Yeah, you do it, Boaz. So then you get to, to verse 9, and Boaz makes his claim, and he says this. Boaz announced to the elders and to all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite and Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family and from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. And in verse 13 it says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. This is a victory for Boaz, right? But think about it for a minute. What does Boaz get out of the deal? He gets some significant baggage, that's for sure. A pagan, barren, foreign, widow, farm servant. 
and her mother-in-law, who has declared publicly that she was bitter, angry at God, and forever empty. What does Boaz get out of this relationship? (laughs) Here's the thing to keep in mind. The one who is gleaning in the field is loved and claimed by the boss. And it's a picture of grace. The picture of grace that emerges from the haze. Boaz desires Ruth because of his care and his love for her, because of his character, not because of the value that she adds to him. It's the same thing in our redemption. It's the same picture of grace that you and I have experienced if we're in Jesus Christ. We have been set free, released from bondage because of God's kindness, because of God's love, because of God's mercy, because of his grace, because of his care. See, see, you and I have been redeemed and rescued. And it didn't happen after we had made an improvement in our lives. It didn't happen after we had gone to enough counseling and worked through all of our issues. We were redeemed while we were still sinners what Romans 5 says. It doesn't matter time. Let me plead with you. If you're here this morning and you're not in Jesus, I don't mean into Jesus. Everybody's into Jesus this time of year. But if you're not in Jesus Christ, God longs to show grace to you. Um. You know that's why you're here, right? It's not because mom dragged you along after Thanksgiving. You're in my house, you're going to my church, get in the car. No, 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 no. The reason you're here is because God longs to show his grace to you. The reason you're here is because the Holy Spirit is trying to draw you to Jesus. He's trying to, to show you how true what Jesus said is. He's trying to point to Christ and say, he is the spotless substitute for your sins. He is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. But, but, okay, listen, Frank, I'm a, you know, I mean, I hear you, I understand, but I'm what? What are you? A, A pagan, barren, foreign widow who's slowly starving to death? Good. That's who Jesus came to save. Jesus didn't come to save those who think they have it all together. Jesus came to save those who who reach a place, whether it be by humility or even by circumstance, where they can only declare their brokenness. I mean, Jesus came to save those who have no other option but to lean on Jesus for rescue, for salvation, for redemption. Is that you? Uh, then, then maybe today in this place, um, you've reached that circumstance or that humility. Then you need to come to Jesus. And, and let me tell you, there's no formula There's no recipe. There's no magic words. Salvation and rescue and redemption. It comes by crying out to the only one who can save you. It's it's like a drowning person. 
The drowning person is, can't, can't tread water much longer. He's, he's, he's up to his eyeballs in water, and he's just every once in a while getting a nose above water. And, and at, at some point, he recognizes the fact that it's about to end, and it's going to end very badly. And so finally, seeing someone who can rescue them, finally seeing them, seeing them, help me over here, I'm drowning, I'm over here, save me over here, I am going to die if you don't come get me. That's salvation. Crying out to Jesus like that. I'm here, rescue me, you're the son of God, my faith isn't going to be perfect, and guess what, it doesn't have to be perfect. I, just, I, I need you to lift me out of the water. Save me. Is that you? Yeah, I'm going to pray for a minute. Father God, I, I ask in this moment, I, I know, I, I don't know everybody. I know a lot of people here. I know there are people who know and love Jesus, but I know there is no question that there are people in this room who are wrestling with their souls right now, who have fought you, who have rebelled against you, who have lifted a fist in anger. God, would you humble them here even in our midst? Lord, I ask that they would cry out to you with that sweet cry of rescue. Lord, I pray that you would rescue them, save them, redeem them, and lift them out of the water. Lord, thank you for the reminder that God's strong enough to save. We love you. Amen. So, so while we're closing, I threw a curveball to the band. They got all excited because I was done early. Let me, let me tell you this, though. Let me tell you this. This is actually really important for us to grasp. What, what do they get? What, what does Jesus get when he, what, what does a, a, a lifeguard get when they pull somebody out of the water? Do they get a, a, a superstar swimmer? No. They get a, a soaked, like a drowned rat, broken person. So don't forget that for Boaz, this, this redemption of Ruth, it's victory for him. This, 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 this redemption of Ruth is victory for her. So, so it, it, I mean, think about this. In, in all of her rags, in her, <laughs> careful, she perspired a lot while she was working at the farm, so I'm sure her farm clothes were not the most attractive in the world, right? Dirty, grungy, pitted out, gross, stinky, all that stuff. She, he, he rescued her and redeemed her from even those clothes. That's what you and I have experienced in Christ. See, when, when, when Jesus redeemed us, he lifted us out of those. He, he gave us new garments. He gave us a robe of righteousness that we didn't earn. He gave us Christ's righteousness. He created a new creature. He made us new in Jesus' eyes because of what Jesus did for us. So, so just like when, when Boaz comes home at the end of the day and looks in the kitchen, he doesn't look at me like, oh, there's Ruth, the Moabite widow, barren woman. He comes home at the end of the day and sees his wife. Do you know what God sees when he looks at you? There's that one who's always struggling. There's that one who just can't get it right. No, 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 no. We just sang a song about that. That's the enemy trying to take what you have. Because that's not true. What does God see when he looks at you? His adopted child. What does God see when he looks at you? Immeasurable value. You know, value is tied to a couple of things when, when you try to measure value for an object you're trying to sell. I mean, it, it, obviously, value is, is tied to whatever somebody's willing to pay for that object. I mean, I had a 1986 Chevette. That was my first car. I mean, I could sell, if you're willing to pay 12 grand for it, I will gladly allow you to pay 12 grand for it. 
If you're willing to pay for it, that makes it valuable. The other thing that makes it valuable would be who owned it first. I mean, I could go out and try to sell it for 12 grand. Nobody's going to buy it. But if you found out that Michael Jordan owned it, he didn't. But you found out Michael Jordan owned it originally, you could sell that for something too, couldn't you? So, so, so really value is tied to what somebody's willing to pay for it and who owned it. Hey, guess what, child of God? You have been redeemed, not with gold or silver or precious metals. You have been bought with a price, and that price is the very precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are valuable in God's eyes. You are owned, not by the world, not by anyone else, but you are owned by God himself. You are of immeasurable value. Zephaniah 3 tells us, not only does God take great delight in you, it won't be a boring delight that he takes in you. It'll be just like that child who came home for Thanksgiving who you haven't seen in years. There will be a rejoicing and a singing like never experienced before. So, so let, me, let me jump down to, to verse 13, and this is going to be very quick. Um, even though it's like the most important part, that's okay. So verse 13, this, this moment happens for, for Naomi and for her family. Boaz took Ruth to be his wife, and she became that wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. Important to note that, the Lord enabled the conception. She gave birth to a son, and the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian and a redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. He'll renew your life. He'll sustain you in your old age. It just, just keeps going. And, and, and the women living there, and so verse 16, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there were like, Naomi has a son. How crazy is that? They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And, and think about it for a moment. For in that moment right there, in that, I don't know, you, you got that little gliding rocker with grandma? Right? And, and in that moment, they hand her that little boy, and he nestles in real close. The darkness is still dark. She's still thinking about Elimelech. I'm certain in that moment, she remembers back to Malon and Kilion being there. But now, with the coos and the giggles, the drool, that feeling empty doesn't seem as empty anymore. It's a hard road, the pain's still there, the gnawing of her soul still exists, but the, the, the reminder that God is still good has been placed on her lap and his name is Obed. And, and here's the crazy part. The part that we would skip most often is actually the whole story. Starting in verse 18, it says this. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. What has happened in Naomi's life is unthinkable. In the moment she felt empty, God was still drawing yet a very crooked line and yet a line to the destination of his desire. Even in the midst of darkness and in struggle, God is loving and caring for his people. Ruth didn't go home. Ruth happens to stop in the right field. Boaz just happens to stop by. John Doe just happens to swing by. I mean, the darkness is still dark. Struggles are still a struggle. But God continues to give his little love notes to remind his people he is still 
there. That's the story of Ruth. The story of Ruth is is not only just a picture of grace or a picture of God's great care to feed the hungry Israelites, to to love and provide for a a bitter widow or to provide help for a, a foreign widow. The story of Ruth is that through this seemingly impossible situation, God was actually preparing for the greatest king Israel would ever know. And I'll tip my hand a little until next week. And that line doesn't stop at David. Because as you continue to trace the finger of God, in Matthew 1, what you'll find is that line ends the one whose name is Jesus. Isn't it just like God to do that? Isn't it just like God to do that? Not to use the straight edge to draw his line, but to, but to show up. So just as Naomi and Ruth celebrated the birth of their baby boy, Obed, we celebrate the birth of one who came through the line of Obed named Jesus. And next week, we celebrate the fact that, that he is no ordinary child. He is the very son of God who came to seek and to save those who are lost. And today, we have the privilege of beginning our celebration of that moment when in the manger, God showed up. Isn't Ruth a great story? Too bad it's so short. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this moment. Thanks for for these folks. Thanks for the the story of your word. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, for for reaching out to us and saving us. God, again, I pray for the ones who might be sitting here who, who don't know you. God, I pray that this would be the moment they put their trust in Christ. God, may they reach their arms up and experience the rescue of a heavenly lifeguard that that can lift them to salvation and redemption and rescue. God, I ask that would happen in our midst today. God, not because we get points or we can put a little mark on the wall. None of that matters. God, it's because today we get to recognize the fact that, 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 that you showed up in the manger, that the Son of God came to rescue us, to redeem us. And so God, as we enter into our Christmas season, I pray that we would be reminded of the precious gift we have in that baby, that one who would grow to live a perfect life, that one who would willingly lay on a cross to die for my sins, the one who would be laid in the tomb, and the one who three days later would rise from the dead. God, I ask that you would remind us of what it is we have in Christ. It's not a month. It's not about presents. It's not about songs. It's not about lights. It's about God showing up. Lord, may we celebrate that well, for it's in the name of that precious little baby Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.